Atamaria, welcome to First Up, it's Ramere, that's Friday the 17th of June, Kornathan Rarere Aho. Coming up, a dramatic day of hearings on the way, the January 6 attacks on the American capital, we'll go live to the US to talk about that. Our man Nabil in Africa takes us to Mozambique and we'll get an update on the continent's football scene. We look ahead at a weekend full of sport with Barry Guy as North takes on South. And uh, what's happened to your Kiwi, Kiwi saver and when should you be worried? Brad Olsen is here to tell you, plus the 80s are back with the arrival of the Australian production of The Wedding Singer. It's the musical version, so it is slightly different, so I could take it and run a little bit. There's a little bit of Jim Carrey in there too, just for good measure, because I'm a big fan. Um, But I put the best comedians together, you know? Tamarie, uh, welcome to First Up for the 17th of June. Gee, politics nerds, you have, you've got it going on right now, have you not? If politics is your thing, you've got the Scots looking like they're bristling for independence again. You've got uh, Boris Johnson dodging bullets left, right and centre, looking like uh, the bullets are made of just Teflon, quite frankly, because nothing sticks to him. Uh, you've got new leadership in Oz. You've got the Pacific Forum standing up going, no, nah, we can actually choose for ourselves, thanks. You've got evenness in polls here. But in the USA... Woo! Giant stuff happening. The January 6 hearings have begun for the day. Joining us now from New York is our correspondent. Uh, Kia ora, Bevan. How are you? Kia ora, Nathan. Doing well, thank you. Okay, so they've got underway. Let's talk about what is on the menu for today. Yes, so day three has just begun uh, literally about three minutes ago, and today the committee is going to try to make the case to the American people that Donald Trump's pressure campaign on his vice president, Mike Pence, directly contributed to the violence on on January 6th. Um, now, I mean, it, we'll all remember those uh, scenes of the crowd sh- shouting, hang Mike Pence, uh, and the gallows erected in front of the Capitol building. But the select committee is going to show that there was a far more um, targeted and, and strategic uh, attempt to, to influence Mr. Pence. Um, he's not going to be there today, but an advisor of his, Michael Luttig, is going to appear in person. And we've seen a copy of uh, Mr. Luttig's opening statement. And he's going to say that basically Trump and his allies instigated a war on democracy so that he could cling to power. And he does not mince his words. He, he says that... It is breathtaking that these arguments were even conceived, let alone entertained by the President of the United States at that perilous moment in history. Um, And he goes on to say that if Pence had gone along with the plot, America would immediately have been plunged into what would have been tantamount to a revolution within a paralyzing constitutional crisis. So um, really strong words there from Mr. Luttig. So we'll we'll all be watching very closely. Why does Mike Pence send a representative and not be on the stand himself? So the January 6th committee haven't tried to subpoena Mike Pence. Um, I believe their rationale is that they have uh, really good, strong testimony from the people around him. Um, his chief of, st- uh, chief of staff, Mike, Mark Short, uh, appeared before the committee. Um, Luttig, uh, this the senior advisor, can kind of speak to what was happening in the room. And I think with all with all the legal um, difficulties with getting someone like a vice president to sit down for a um, interview, it's just too hard, I believe. Okay, right. Okay, uh, let, let's move on to uh, something else here. Uh, Juneteenth 
Is, is an interesting uh, thing in the United States. Can you tell us about Juneteenth? Just explain it for what the audience is. And uh, is, is there a bit of a what? They're going to have a holiday then? Yeah, so Juneteenth uh, is June the 19th on the cal- mm. calendar. Um, last year it was designated as a public holiday by the Biden administration, and it commemorates a day in 1865 when news of the Emancipation Proclamation reached enslaved black people in Galveston, Texas. Now, somewhat um, staggeringly, this was two and a half years after it was signed. Um, so it is, it is, I guess, formally recognised as, as the day when slavery ended uh, in, in the US. And um, many corporations and even public institutions uh, saw this as a bit of a marketing opportunity, and they faced accusations of trying to cash in by using racist and culturally appropriated tropes. Um, last month, Walmart was forced to apologize after it released uh, Juneteenth ice cream and eventually withdrew the product from shelves after facing an outcry that it was um, no. you know, appropriating <laughs> black culture. Um, even more shockingly, um, this week, the developer behind the Halo video game rolled out a new character allegedly uh, to celebrate Juneteenth that was named Bonobo, uh, which is a a type of ape. Um, Now, the head of 343 Industries that makes the game later apologised and blamed an oversight. But, I mean, you know, that's um, that's pretty on the nose, that one. Um, And even the Indianapolis Children's Museum um, faced a backlash uh, for its tone-deaf decision to sell watermelon salad to patrons. Uh, Watermelon historically being used as a racist trope against black Americans. So, um, yeah, I mean, hopefully, you know, it's on Sunday. Hopefully the, it, can, it can go ahead um, without any more of this kind of uh, nonsense. Yeah, and uh, like many uh, nations are seeing around the world, U.S. Federal Reserve has, um, hiked, has hiked rates. Yeah, so yesterday the Federal Reserve hiked interest rates by three quarters of a percentage point. It was the biggest increase in 28 years, and it's going to have a huge effect on borrowing costs for American businesses and consumers. Um, The goal of the Fed's uh, decision is to try to get inflation under control while not plunging the US economy into a recession. And it's it's walking a bit of a tightrope on that one. Um, it does only have this one fairly blunt instrument and, and, and it's often a few months behind um, before we sort of figure out if, it, if it's been effective or not. Mm. And, and judging by today's performance on the stock market, um, a lot of financial analysts seem to think that we're heading for a recession. All of the major indices are, are sharply down. So it could be an interesting few months uh, for the economy. Could be they should go through line by line. That's what they should do. Uh, Bevan Hurley, thank you very much for your time. There is joining us from the US. It's 12 past five and you're listening to First Up on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarere. I'm keen for your feedback today on many things. If you would like to go with some politics feedback, I'll take it. If you want to go for some sports t- uh, feedback, I'll take it. Uh, however, we have a story coming up later in the show about the musical The Wedding Singer coming to the stage. I would like to know, what is the most 1980s song ever? Because we were trying to come up with it in the studio before. And I'll give you a starter. See if you can better this one. Funky Town by Pseudo Echo. Think of it. It had dove drums. It had too many synthesizers. It had guys in, in jeans with white high tops and mullets. Funky Town by Pseudo Echo. Can you beat that? I think, let's pretend we're playing World Series of Poker and I'm winning when I go all in with Funky Town Pseudo Echo. Can you beat that? 2101 or email first up at rnz.co.nz.
Well, the leaders of France, Germany, Italy and Romania are in Kiev for talks on Ukraine's bid to join the European Union. Ukraine's President Zelensky has presented the leaders with a range of proposals for sanctions against Russia, including embargoes on gas and military weapons. The BBC's Joe Inwood has this report. We know that the war has started not under 24... Today is all about a show of support from EU leaders who Ukraine has previously said have been lukewarm. A tour of Erpin was designed to show them there can be no compromise with Russia. Here in Erpin, on a site that has been destroyed, where the Russian army was effectively stopped, where massacres were carried out, we have seen the first signs of war crimes. After that, a meeting with President Zelensky. Top of the agenda, Ukraine's hopes of one day joining the European Union. In fact, as of today, we are already so much closer to obtaining this status than we could have even dreamt of just a few years ago. Ukraine has done everything possible to become a candidate. But Ukraine's more pressing concern is getting more weapons. The US has promised two Harpoon naval defence systems, part of a billion-dollar package of military aid. Speaking at today's NATO summit, America's top general said the new supplies will play a crucial role as Russia's stocks run down. The Russians have lost probably somewhere in the tune of 20 to 30 percent of their armored force. That's significant. That's huge. Uh, So the the Ukrainians are fighting a very effective fight. But for now, Ukraine remains on the back foot in this war. Russia is continuing its attempts to take the eastern Donbass region, And even far from the front lines, the destruction is devastating. Where are we supposed to go? You see there is shelling all over Ukraine. Where would we go? Does it make sense to leave? What if we arrive somewhere and there will be another strike? We'll just stay in this city. Today is all about a visible show of support for Ukraine. But as towns and cities across the east endure Russian artillery and airstrikes, Ukraine needs actions as well as words. Joe Inwood, with that report, if you're listening to us live, we're at quarter past five here on Friday morning uh, on First Up on RNZ National. Let's go to Africa now, where as many as 15,000 people have fled a safe area in northern Mozambique after a series of attacks, and 35 teens in Nigeria have been rescued from a baby factory. With more on these topics, Paul, also an update on the football. Uh, he's our man in Africa. He's Nabil Ahmed in Ghana. Morning, Nabil. Hello, Nathan. Tell me about this this baby factory in Nigeria. Well, some 35 teenagers have been rescued from that uh, so-called baby factory. Now, essentially, these uh, places are where women and girls are being kept to give birth to babies for sale. Now, the police say uh, four of the girls that were rescued were already pregnant. And uh, the police is also saying that they've been able to arrest some three suspects have been accused of abducting the teenagers as well as engaging them in sexual slavery uh, prostitution, also operating the so-called uh, baby factory. Now, these kind of operations have been going on in Nigeria secretly for a very long time, and then the authorities have been trying to really clamp down on such operations, Nathan. Oh, that's horrible. Uh, if we move to uh, Mozambique, this is sad here. 15,000 people have fled a new wave of attacks. Can you tell me the background to this conflict? Well, these particular attacks have been launched by uh, so-called jihadist groups in 
uh, many parts of uh, Mozambique. And these 15,000 people have already fled uh, as a result of the latest attack. Now, uh, this is according to the International Organization of Migration for Migration. Now, uh, this renewed attack began just about a week ago uh, in the southern province of Mozambique. Now, the particular conflict um, and the issue of battling jihadist groups started in 2017. And since then, uh, some 4,000 people have been killed as a result of the attacks, and some over 800,000 have been forced to flee their homes. Now, many of these um, people that continue to flee their homes are children. And also, this latest uh, 15,000 people include 125 pregnant women. And uh, authorities are trying to see if they can relocate these uh, people who have been displaced from their homes as a result of these attacks from uh, jihadist uh, armed groups. Uh, Let's move to South Sudan now. The World Food Programme has suspended part of its food aid because funds are drying up. That's that's awful news for them, Nabil. Indeed, Nathan, it's so much heartbreaking that uh, the World Food Programme that has been helping a lot of uh, poor countries is now even running out of funds. And they are saying they can no longer help uh, South Sudan. And this means that some 1.7 million people in South Sudan risk starvation. Now, um, some of the issues that have come up has to do with the fact that uh, climate change is also worsening the situation in South Sudan um, because the country is facing severe flooding and also droughts, as well as some conflicts within the region. Um, and uh, this is really pushing a lot of people into severe hunger. And we are just hoping that uh, some funds will come to the World Food Programme so they can support these uh, people in South Sudan, Anita. Yeah, let's hope that some support can come from them. This is a segment which is becoming very popular. We are the only current affairs show in New Zealand that offers you a weekly um, football report from Africa. So tell us, FIFA has rejected Algeria's appeal against Cameroon. What's this about, Nabil? Well, Nathan, it's basically the fact that Algeria uh, felt they were treated unfairly by a referee during a match between uh, the country and then Cameroon during the World Cup playoff. So they actually appealed to the uh, football uh, body, world football body FIFA, but then FIFA has rejected uh, this particular appeal, saying there is no real grounds for this particular appeal by um, Algeria. So that means that Algeria will not be participating in the World Cup once FIFA has rejected the appeal, and Cameroon would definitely go ahead to uh, play yeah, I mean, in the qualifying playoffs for the World Cup, Nathan. Thank you very much, Nabil. There he is, Nabil Ahmed, who joins us every week from Ghana. 19 and a half past five. I'm Nathan Rarere, and you're listening to First Up on RNZ National. Coming up, Brad Olsen joins us to talk about your Kiwi saver and leg warmers, shoulder pads, mullets. It's the Wedding Singer musical hitting stages in New Zealand. Well, they are standing in the rear. Big ones, small ones, I have asked you this morning to beat me. Uh, I came up with the most 80s song ever as being Funky Town by Pseudo Echo, and we have had uh, entries come in. Angela and Rotorua goes, What about True by Spandau Ballet? That's pretty good. I still like my hand. Uh, here's one. The Smiths, How Soon Is Now? It wasn't all bad in the 80s. Let us know, 2101, if you've got an 80s song that you think uh, can outdo Funky Town by Pseudo Echo. But with me now, the Mayor of Funky Town, also the Minister of Fruit and Veggies. He is Glenn Forsyth. Morena, Glenn, how are you? 
Oh, very well, Nathan. How are you, sir? I'm pretty good. Um, carrots and parsnips. This is their time, isn't it, really? This is, this is the, the carrot and parsnip part of the year. Is it ever? We, it's always great to catch up with Regan Quail of Southern Cross Growers way, way down at Woodlands in Southland. These guys are home of the So Sweet brand, and after all the cold and snow they've had, that is exactly what their parsnips and carrots are right now. They supply nationwide, but heck, is transport expensive these days. A B-train costs thousands. Faf running at like 25%, and he gave an example. One head of cauliflower from Invercargill to Auckland alone was $1.80 each just on freight. Uh, but anyway, bullet trucks can get to Auckland in two days. They grow magnificent organic carrots and potatoes. However, two of their flagship products are the So Sweet Parsnips and Bunched smaller-sized carrots with the tops still on. Their amazing staff are picking daily in one to six degrees currently. The bunched carrots go from November to July, getting very popular in the North Island with no plastic packaging. Now, his tips on eating are raw or roast with a little of the top still on or steam with um, some butter. Never peel, never peel them, and their cooler climate in general is great for their flavour. Their parsnips are 12 months um, program and hitting their straps now, and he's pleased to be part of people's roasting pans. Regan has he, he loves his parsnips and he loves seeing them come back to him in HelloFresh boxes because of the innovative ways parsnips are used in the recipes. And here's a trick. Shave a whole parsnip into peelings and add as a garnish to mashed potato or, or on top of steaks. His daughter loves them this way. You fancy man. I like that <laughs> yeah. one. Uh, what are your other veggie observations this week? Uh, a lot of shoppers do expect product all year round, but after seeing lettuces the size of Brussels sprouts, gold-plated capsicums and cucumbers with the girth of a gherkin yesterday, no thank you. I mean, <laughs> It's all about the girth, Glenn. Yeah, that's right. Vegetables in best supply at the markets late this week are leeks, carrots, kumara, pumpkin, spring onions and red onions. Even broccoli and cauliflower aren't terribly expensive, and a whole cabbage is pretty good value considering how, you know, how far a whole cabbage can stretch. Now, excessive rain, though, is like a stroke to outdoor vegetables. It comes with a sting, too muddy to dig, damage when picking, difficult to fertilise, and tough replanting. Growers can work ahead of the weather, but not for extended periods, and we've had a ridiculous amount of rain in places, so these fine spells are welcomed, and we're hoping that we don't run out of vegetables again, like we did last winter, early spring. But back to shopping, Nathan, around for deals, though. Mid-June, and we mentioned tomato growers are pulling out crops, and early this week, the market tumbled again for tomatoes. Retail prices this week in the North Island have been as low as four ninety nine a kilo, right up to an outrageous nine forty nine a kilo. Now, we won't name and shame, but stay savvy out there. Uh, some pack and save produce managers even told me yesterday they might have a crack at three ninety nine a kilo today in the North Island. Now this is great buying on loose tomatoes in June, and also highlights if you buy produce, you know, from Friday to Sunday from selected and independent businesses that are nimble on their feet, you can take advantage of great specials that the markets blow out early in the week. Perfect. See, that's the tips. That's why we're here. Tell me about is much from the way of fruit. Oh, some beautiful-looking fruit cider too. The new shipment of green grapes from Peru were immaculate with some nice end-of-season red ones from Australia to complement. The Tamarillos and Aussie honeydew melons were both as pretty as a picture. We still wait for a steady flow of oranges. However, citrus such as lemons, mandarins and New Zealand grapefruit all in good supply. Now, it's our biggest export fruit mover and our fruit of the week. And Glenn, Glenn, Glenn. Hi, Glenn. Hey, what's your fruit of the week, Glenn? It's a cracker. It's kiwi fruit. Now, we checked in with the, the over-energetic Michael Franks of Seeker, and the export market is going gangbusters. We have, you know, 2,800 New Zealand-based growers, and Vespri is targeting $4.5 billion global 
operating revenue by 2025. That's unbelievable. Fruit is all but harvested and packed, and unfortunately our industry numbers could be as high as 10 to 15% down. Gold estimated at 116 million trays could be 103 million, and green 58 million instead of 68 million. The good news locally, though, is that current prices are as good as you're going to get, and they really are great. So cover these, you know, those pavlovas this weekend with a, with a complete rug of double-decker sliced green kiwi fruit, and you're away. Beautiful. Glenn Forsyth, thank you very much. Uh, There he is, the Minister of Fruit and Veggies. Carrots, parsnips, this is your time. Other veggies, just to hang on a little, all right? We're going there. Also, Katrina's tip is get your carrots and parsnips and mash them up together. Controversial on a Friday. Sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. This is the day of our life we call the 17th of June. Really enjoyed diving into the archives to tell you um, about things that happened on this day in history. MC Escher, Moritz Cornelius Escher, uh, born on this day in 1898. If you're going, I kind of know that name, but I don't. Think of the artist with the really weird paintings on on lots of different staircases all over. It sort of blows your mind a little bit. I know a lot of uh, the the show Squid Game was uh, based off his art. Um, Yeah, uh, he was born on this day in 1898. Barry Manilow, born on this day in 1943. Jeremy tells me that Piano Man by Billy Joel is about Barry Manilow. That's... That's what you're saying? Yep, so there he is. Happy uh, birthday to Barry. Don't know if he did anything else. Um, and a year later, Iceland said, Barry Manilow was born one year ago. Let's become a republic. So they did. And they walked away from Denmark and said, no, we're going to be our own beautiful uh, place up north there. In 1980, on this day, Venus Williams was born, became good at tennis. Uh, 1987, Kendrick Lamar was born, became good at rap music. Uh, and in 1997, actor KJ Upper, I was born, and he's he's a he's a big international star now, isn't he? On this day in 1994, what were you doing? No, you weren't. You were going. Are they just? Is he? Who's in that white Ford Bronco? Why are they driving so slowly? What? Why are all the people up on that overpass? That's what happened on this day. It was uh, O.J. Simpson being arrested on this day after the incredibly slow uh, Ford Bronco chase. In this day in 1943, the first commercially successful ballpoint pen was patented by Laszlo Biro. There, there had been ones done beforehand, but they kept clogging up and didn't work. But I thought this was really interesting. The unassembled Statue of Liberty arrived in New York on this day in 1885. Originally, it was, tended to, it was intended to be a modern-day Colossus Road and stand at the Suez Canal. It was going to be called Egypt, bringing light to Asia. Egypt went, nah, too pricey. Um, Bartoldi was left with the statue that he had and he ended up getting the Americans to take it off his hands. So there you go. He'd wanted Lady Liberty's torch to light up as a lighthouse, but engineers couldn't make it work. So apparently he was quite mad at New York after that. And that is your Statue of Liberty news on this day. It's Anand Zaki with us now. What is the team focusing on in the business world today, sir? Good morning, Nathan. Good morning. Well, this is, uh, this is quite something. We have the Global Wedding Price Index for you. I'm interested in this because my wedding was not here. It's in one of the places that you were talking about today. So let's go. What do you got? Right, let's see if I can uh, mention it. So we have the top 100 cities around the world, and this has been sitting in my inbox all week. It's had an embargo, and I've just been waiting for this moment to reveal it. Yep. It's 
the anticipation. So Auckland is the 48th most expensive city in the world for a wedding with an average cost of just over 25,000 New Zealand dollars. And it's the only New Zealand city to make the list, uh, but it's coming ahead of Las Vegas, which That's is 54th. 50, yeah, now it's cheaper, right? It's cheaper. Las Vegas is cheaper. That hasn't changed since we got married 15 years ago. In that we well, actually the, went to a venue in Auckland and said, hey, how much for the day? And we could actually go flights to Las Vegas, get married, go on a bit of a honeymoon and come back cheaper for that one day hireage. And that's that's the wedding capital, right, over it there? Is. So it's just, uh, I mean, this is just nuts. But it's also come in ahead of cities. So Auckland's come in ahead of cities like Madrid, Mykonos in Greece, Gold Coast, Prague. Uh, and the most uh, expensive city... In the world to get married, or the place rather, is the Hamptons in the US. Oh, I was going to say Monte Carlo. Yeah, the Hamptons, really? Yes, the average wedding cost over there is uh, just over 72,000 New New Zealand dollars. And that's just not a a wedding I can afford, but it's quite insane. Goodness. (laughs) And it's followed by uh, Positano in Italy and some of the more famous places uh, on the t- in the top ten, it's got uh, three Italian cities, uh, others being Florence in fifth, Venice in seventh, Paris has come in uh, sixth. But if you want a cheap overseas wedding, head over to Lahore in Pakistan, uh, where you can get married for about $5,500. Sweet. Or Goa in India, which is second to last in the top 100 list. Uh, it's a beautiful spot, I think. Uh, might be the place for weddings. There you go. See, wedding advice. We've got it all. Thank you very much. You can hear more uh, on that and uh, iPhone batteries uh, with the business team this morning on Morning Report at 10 to 7. Your money report right now. Here's what your New Zealand dollar will buy you. 63.3 US cents, 90.05 Australian cents, 60.2 Euro cents, 51.4 British pence, 4.24 yuan, 83.62 Japanese yen, 36.69 Russian rubles and 40.46 Mozambican Metacal. City readers with me to talk sport for the weekend. How are you? Good morning, Nathan. I'm good. Can I just ask you a quick question? Who had the worst sports week? Was it the cricketers? Was it the All Whites? Or was it Los Angeles Angels baseball manager Joe Madden, whose team had lost 12 in a row? He's a 70 year old man, and he thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to really get the guys all up and going. And, I, and he shaved a mohawk. He got a mohawk done, and he thought, I'll walk in and I'll take my hat off and I'll go, huh? And then the guys will get a lift. They didn't get to see it because when he arrived at work, they fired him. <gasps> no, yeah. what a waste! <laughs> so he drove home with his mobile. <laughs> Hope he stuck his head out the window and showed I everyone. I know. I think he just left that beanie on. Yeah. What's happening? Well, there's this big rugby final. Yes, Super there is. rugby tomorrow night. Crusaders Blues, plenty of rivalry there. And I was um, quite, uh, quite interested to see. I think the tickets went on sale on Tuesday, and they just all went. I know, Aucklanders. Yeah. They say we're last minute, we show up late, but actually they sold out quite early. Oh, they'll still show up late. They'll still show <laughs> up. Kickoff will be, what is it, 7.05. 7.05. So they'll be arriving at 7.03, wandering in with a coffee, going, why am I having to wait in a line? I missed the first five <laughs> where's minutes. My, where's my seat? Well, they're not going to want to miss this one. There's, you know, 19 years since Auckland have won the... 
proper Super Rugby title. So against the 10-time champions Crusaders, though, there's plenty of family rivalries as well. Those Barretts up against each other as captains on yeah. opposing sides there. And a couple of good hues, some yes. twins playing each other as well. A <laughs> couple of coaches that have played alongside and worked alongside each other as well. Yeah. Yep. A good point too as well. I like, I like it actually, I like it because yeah, like you say, you've got, if you're going to pass a torch and I think the Blues feel like, you know what, we're up for this, we've got this very exciting team, we, we, you know, we're going very well, we've been building a few years. If you want to do it, you want to take it off, off the champions, well, right? Of course you do. And if you're the champions, you've got to go, no, 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 no. Nah. <laughs> it's that north south, it's I that am Tyson Fury. red blue, it's that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they do. And as I said, they won the one down. And uh, I think what Dalton Papalipi, is he back? He had to get through training yesterday, and okay. they'll make a call closer to the time. Okay. Yeah. It'll be a tough one, but that's the one you want to get up for, right? You're doing anything to get out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what else is happening in the world of sport, though, apart from that? Well, you were mentioning that all whites, not such a great week for the all whites and the cricketers, you know. Yeah. So those cricketers have another COVID case in, in that team as well. They've got uh, Kane Williamson back for that third test, but Devin Conway has gone down as the latest player within that squad, won't travel. Yeah. Also the strength and conditioning coach gone down with it. So as these things continue to happen while they're over there as well, so it's not such a great time against that Brendan McCullen coached team that we're, you know, it's going to be a bit of a dead rubber that third game starting on Thursday. But. So our record as world champion hasn't really gone that well, has it? We, we got to the mountaintop and now we just, we ate our lunch up there. And <laughs> Something like that. We're like, nah, I don't climb anymore. <laughs> we got, you know what we did? We got re- in really good shape for our wedding and then we just let it go. That was us. That was the New Zealand Test cricket yeah, We got to the top, we're like, oh well. You know, well, yeah. where else can we go now? And the Golden State Warriors can become the NBA champions today, should they Yes, win? they can. <laughs> I like them. I like Steve Curry. I think he's lovable up against the Boston Celtics. Felicity, we we, um, we have a, a, a bit of a, a musical. We thought, what about if Radio New Zealand today, whenever they mention the Super Rugby final, uses this, this bit of music that we've found? Here we go. Saturday what do you think? Night. Everybody loves Saturday night. Everybody, 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 everybody loves Saturday night. I feel like we'll be hearing a bit of that today. Yeah, I think we will. Everybody loves a Saturday night. (laughs) Felicity, thank you very much for your time today. Joyce, the uh, sports team will have uh, all the news and everything for what is a biggie. Yeah, I was very surprised. I was quite actually heartened to see that Eden Park had sold out on Saturday night. Because who doesn't love a crowd, eh? We're on our way to 6 o'clock. I'm Nathan Rarity. You're with First Up here on RNZ National. Still to come, economist Brad Olsen helps us understand the numbers behind New Zealand's shrinking economy. Uh, also, too, we're going to hear about the wedding singer as we try and find a more 80s song than Pseudo Echo's Funky Town. We have been speaking this morning, Vicky Mackay, mm-hmm. about the wedding singer musical. We'll have a story about it soon. You went to it. Oh, I did. Did I you take did. the leg warmers? What did you oh, go with? Look, we wore the, we wore the big wide shoulders. We yes. had the big lapels. Yes. We had the hair with so much product and it was unbelievable. <laughs> but unfortunately, the Wellington 130 an hour wind got it. <laughs> so that was, I joined the, I joined the rest of the um, theatre 
with the hair all sticking out sideways, but we didn't care because the product held it sticking See, out sideways. hang on. If you're going for authentic 80s Wellington, you needed like acid wash jeans and a Lenko tracksuit top. Yes, well, some of hey. us wouldn't fit those things anymore. <laughs> Let's be real, people. Let's be real. There were a whole lot of old girls in their uh, bling. That's good. We, oh, no, careful we, about the bling. The bling squad will get you. Oh, no, we had, we had bling left, right and centre. We had rolled gold, old gold, the oh. diamonds. There was all sorts of stuff going on out there. Love. It. People were dressed for the nice. It was a great night, fantastic night. Well, brilliant. And I can't wait to hear about it. What's the most 80s song? Oh, look, you know, insofar as the theatre was concerned, mm. you know, they ran the gamut. And I have to tell you, just off the bat, the choreography and the costuming, uh, they are complete characters on their own. There is every 80s piece of dress you've ever seen in your life. The costuming was superb. Perfect. The music was great. Yes. Um, the biggest 80s song, Thriller. Ah, there we are. It's the Thriller. Thank you very much, Vicky McCoy. Needs the Vincent Price voice in it if it's going to be good, though. The professionals of RNZ are the Morning Report team. Corin Dance stands by. He's a music man. Corin, uh, 80s, 80s dominant song. The most, or, or no, the most 80s one. You get all oh, that sounds like the 80s. Don't you forget about me from the oh, Breakfast Club. Oh yeah, yeah. Who sings that? I can't Simple remember. Minds. Simple Minds. Simple Minds. Great right. drumming in that. Mm. Underrated, underrated drumming. What do you, what do you got happening on the show today, Karen? Uh Quite a bit of sport this morning. We're going to talk about the uh, Aussies potentially throwing out the Super Rugby competition, oh, going their do own this way. All the time. <laughs> we do ourselves. Maybe it's last just uh, posturing. But um, it's it an interesting is. idea whether we go back to a domestic competition, and we did it for what 150 years or something. So yeah. Uh, maybe it would bring back some parochialism and some sort of harder to finance. Rivalry. But now that we've got the Silver Lake money, I think you can. So there's that. You know what I mean? I, th- I think it yeah. was once it went professional. I think rugby's problem was it was trying to be an amateur and a professional game at the same time, and you can't do that. It'd be a bit tough on the Fijians and the the Moana Pacifica, which if we suddenly ripped yeah. up the whole script on Super Rugby. So anyway, yeah. There's a bit of bit to go through there. We'll talk to David Moffat, former head of the rugby union, but we'll also cover the issue with the Middlemore Hospital and the waitlist issue. Uh, we're also going to talk uh, about facial recognition, and we'll have a little debate on the Tauranga by-election, which uh, with the two main candidates, of course, tomorrow. Mm, thank you very much, Corin, who didn't mention the Super Rugby final, so he's obviously nervous for the Crusaders. Uh, thank you very much for your time, sir. Well, Stats NZ <laughs> released data yesterday that showed that the economy unexpectedly contracted at the start of the year as consumers controlled their spending, exports dipped, and primary industries produced less. Consequently, the GDP fell a seasonally adjusted 0.2% in the three months ended March, which is well below expectations. Uh, so what does this mean for everyday New Zealanders? Well, joining us, is the Infometrics, uh, Infometrics Principal Economist, Brad Olson. Kia ora, Brad. Kia ora. Are you concerned by this? I mean, it's never good to start off the year with a contraction, but I think we've got to be realistic that we did have Omicron in place at the start of the year. That was always going to be hard to, to push through. Uh, different industries have still been performing all right. We saw the total amount of work that uh, was done in the construction sector up 3.2% from 
uh, the end of 2021, so there's still a bit of momentum there. What does worry us uh, is just that big, and it was big, a big contraction in exports, which shows that after such a long time of the primary sector being a re- real key driver of New Zealand's economic story through COVID, uh, there's some real pressures coming through there that, that does start to make us nervous. Uh, domestic-based activity, all right, but, but that sort of foreign-based, you know, when we're trying to connect uh, and, and stay as a key exporter to the world, there are some real worries starting to emerge there. Okay, because I see that this is about, you know, it wasn't expected to do this, wasn't expected to do that. So it, it, when we have a look, why were those projections when they were done back then? Why did they expect things to be rosier? Well, I think there was a feeling uh, from some of the earlier numbers that, you know, maybe things might have been a, a bit more all right. We know that despite, you know, Omicron, despite 300,000 people being uh, off work at any one time during the peak of Omicron, the total amount of hours worked in the economy was um, fairly unchanged, only a little bit down from normal levels. I think as well, we've got to be a little bit careful with the GDP numbers because they are extremely volatile at the moment. Of course, summer periods are normally when we'd get a lot of tourism uh, in, in, in a pre-pandemic time. That means that the seasonal adjustment method always tries to pick up different things. Now, I'm getting into technicalities here, but basically to make the point that, yep, it was weaker than we first thought, but realistically, we've always known that the numbers are going to be noisy at the moment. There's a feeling that next quarter... Uh, with that move to orange, things might well be better. But but some uh, smaller alarm bells ringing about the pressures that we're currently seeing on some sectors where you go towards the end of the year, that could uh, really start to, to, to pinch quite hard. Uh, you do start to still get worried about that sort of recession territory. Bit of freaking out going on about people's KiwiSavers. People are going, got to draw my money out, quickly. Tell us, Brad, tell us about the KiwiSavers situation and, and what are you hearing and what do you think people should do? Well, the markets really aren't in a good place at the moment. Uh, overnight, I think we've seen uh, the S&P and, and the US down uh, 23% since the start of the year. You've had a few more uh, central banks across Europe unexpectedly raise their rates. All of that's going to add into that general feeling that inflation is not under control. Central banks are going to have to raise interest rates more, and that means that it filters through very strongly into the stock markets and, and puts a bit of a bloodbath there. I guess the worry, right, is that we saw this sort of some of this mentality back at the start of the pandemic when stock markets really took a hit and everyone uh, tried to move out their KiwiSaver and similar. But look, let's just be very, very blunt. By the time that the markets have already fallen, you moving your KiwiSaver only locks in those losses. What we, I think people do uh, want to take a little bit of a breath here. It is going to be uh, a challenging position for their KiwiSaver, but again, making a change now locks in those losses. It makes sure that you absolutely, definitely lose money. Whereas I think a lot of people might well do best to take a breath, think about this, take some good financial advice and consider if now is the time to move or if in fact because things have already changed, it's time to maybe think about waiting it out. Mm. I always feel smarter after I've spoken to Infometrics Principal Economist Brad Olson. Thank you, Brad. Well, it promises to be a dramatic day of hearings on the January 6th attacks on the American capital. Donald Trump's involvement coming under the spotlight like never before. Joining us from the United States is TVNZ's correspondent Anna Burns-Francis. Kia ora, Anna. Thanks for being here for us. Good morning. Yeah, certainly interesting viewing. Every every day you've got something new coming out about this hearings, for sure. Yeah, you have. Can you just tell us, though, what is the end game of these hearings? Like, what happens at the end of it? 
Great question. I'm not sure the committee entirely know what the end game is. There is going to be a report produced. The goal is to have that report published by September. Of course, the timing of that, very important, midterm elections start in November. Uh, so they're working towards that. They've been going for about a year. But if you're asking me if it's going to result in any kind of criminal charge uh, for Donald Trump, well, that's yet to be decided. The case hasn't possibly been proven to the threshold that it needs to be yet. That certainly looks like one of the goals of the these hearings, but it may not end up being that case. But fear not, for anyone who wants to see Donald Trump be held accountable for this, there is also that Department of Justice investigation that is ongoing as well. Okay, we'll get into what preview stuff we might have, but just tell us so far, what's been the standout information for you that you have heard from the hearings? Well, really what we've looked at so far has been the uh, perspective of what happened on the day of the uh, riot on the coup at the Capitol, which was for the first time seen from the perspective of those police officers and what they went through. And look, make no doubt about it, this is an American production made to draw in eyeballs and bring attention back to what Democrats feel is a very important topic that Republicans are trying to sweep desperately under the rug. So they brought in a producer from television, from ABC here in America, to produce these videos and to get everyone involved. And so certainly the first day was a lot of drama and a lot of unseen footage that that no one had been publicly able to broadcast before of what rioters were saying and doing. And that was really violent actions, really violent stuff. But at the same time, it also really set the tone and really laid out quite clearly about just how dangerous the situation was on the day for those lawmakers in question. We've Mm. since then in the second hearing gone back again and looked at what was happening behind closed doors on election night. Of course, this was months prior, back in November it all started. And so that's what we've really done hit a a nail on the head of what happened on the day, but now they're building the case through the months leading up to that day. Do you know anything? Do they give you any preview material to have a look at of what's coming up? Well, all of the networks are prepped and ready with all the uh, what we call baselines, the super keys, the cryon tags along the bottom of the screen. So they know who's appearing. They know all these videos are about to come up. But certainly the committee has been, and I was thinking about this the other day, surprisingly quite tight-lipped. Of course, we were supposed to have two hearings this week, uh, and we've only, well, three rather, actually, in American time. We've only had two, this being the second one today, because one that was scheduled for yesterday was cancelled more than a day in advance. But if you want to know why well nobody is saying exactly why and that's why we love you thank you very much anna burns francis she's in the know yeah it's it is very uh it's very gripping uh if you love your politics uh we're heading towards uh, six o'clock i can tell you that uh, many many people have had feedback here i said what is the most 80s song you can think of miranda goes with you spin me right round by dead or alive oh that's a tough one to beat that's a really, really tough one to beat there. Uh, Waz in Wanganui says uh, the Beverly Hills Cop theme, uh, which was that Harold Faltermeyer? Ax- Axel F was the name of, of course, Axel Foley. Uh, Small Town Boy. Oh, that's right. Run Boy Run that as well. Plenty of those. I'll try and get some more in for you. Gillian from Woodhill says, what about Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood? All very, very, very 80s songs. And if you're wondering why, well, the 80s have returned. With the arrival of the Australian production of The Wedding Singer, uh, the cast have bought their leg warmers, their shoulder pads, and also mullets to New Zealand following a three-city season. In Australia, Sam Ralston went to meet them. I wrote a song six years ago while playing in a wedding band. The sound of live musical theatre rocking its way into the Opera House here in Wellington with the cast of The Wedding Singer. 
Based on the 1998 film of the same name, starring Adam Sandler as wedding singer Robbie and Drew Barrymore as waitress Julia, the Australian cast are bringing all the vibrance of the 80s to our capital. That's Christian Chirisiu, who plays this version of Robbie. He says his preparation for the role naturally included watching the original film multiple times. But I could find those really iconic moments that everyone could attach to, but then, I mean, it's the musical version, so it is slightly different, so I could take it and run a little bit. There's a little bit of Jim Carrey in there too, just for good measure, because I'm a big fan, um, but I put the best comedians together, you know? <laughs> the catalyst for the story is Robbie's fiance leaving him at the altar, sending him into a spiral of heartbreak, something Christian says was a tangible force to relate to his character. His bubble gets burst, his whole world is has been about love and he actually never really understood what love was and I think a lot of people in their 20s figure that out they don't really know what love is and I think and I personally have experienced that so I sort of just find those parallels let them flow and um, you know tell the really honest truth That's Elise McCann who plays Julia a waitress who dreams of marrying Wall Street poster boy Glenn Elise's approach to her character differed in a rather significant way to Christian's. I actually just chose not to re-watch the film when I got cast in the show because I didn't want to try and feel the pressure of trying to be Drew Barrymore. I think what she brings to the role is incredible because she's so beautiful at having that, that glorious honesty and that openness, that vulnerability that we love about Drew. And so I, I just rem had those memories in the back of my brain and thought I'd apply those myself, but rather than trying to be her or replicate her exactly. However, her approach when it came to getting into Julia's head included the same notion of relatable personal experiences. Her overall arching want and desire is to find true love, find connection, find um, a sense of home and community and that's something that I definitely have experienced and I think that that's something that audiences have experienced particularly now, I think that's why it's relevant now. With music by Matthew Sklar and lyrics by Chad Biglin, Elise says those aspects were symbiotic with her acting performance to create a believable character. What is the music doing underneath me? When does it crescendo? When does it become louder or softer? Because I think that kind of gives you clues as to what's happening with the emotional stakes of the song. Someone has spent a lot of time making this music and they've probably made all of their choices for a specific reason. So I try and figure out what I think those reasons are and then I try and approach it like a monologue. The set is adorned with copious amounts of neon and glitter, a giant pink heart hanging upstage with the words simply weird hanging in the center of it. Puffy sleeves and big hair fly across the stage with a pop rock energy Elise says will be hard to get out of your head. You can kind of sing along to it and I think a lot of audiences get to kind of go away with a bit of a, a soundtrack in their brain that they can remember and connect to. After COVID restrictions brought much of the art scene to a halt, both Christian and Elise say they are thrilled to be back performing in front of audiences not only in Australia but here in New Zealand. The first time we opened the show in Australia it was like at a rock concert and just every time we open this show you can feel the electricity from the audiences and that's the best payoff. Just giving people a reason to get out and live again and for us to enjoy our job and see people enjoying us enjoying our job too. It's wonderful. Honestly it has been so amazing. I, I don't think I realised how much I'd missed it until I was able to be back doing it. After a bit of time you realise how, how much performing and what we do, it is such a privilege and it 
and it makes me so happy and it makes me who I am. And so, um, and I realised how much I missed and how much of the loss my life felt without it. The Wellington season is on now at the Opera House and will run until Sunday before moving to Auckland's Bruce Mason Centre from June 30 to July 17. All right. Doesn't that get you up, eh? For a, n- a night out, as we know, Vicky Mackay was there. She'll probably go with you again. Uh, if you had tickets, she'll head along. Just uh, think about the weather when you're going in your 80s outfits. Thank you very much for being here during this week. Many, many entries came in for what was the most 80s song of all time. Uh, here was one from Helen and Tim. She goes, right on time by Black Box. Now, we checked with the scrutineers. You're right, it was 1989. That's when Helen from Thames was just giving it plenty at the nightclub, eh? Wandering out onto the dance floor with your blue Vock. Woo! There we go. <laughs> and the Palladium and Christchurch or Snobs and Hastings, the rule that we had, every nightclub had to end in a Z. I think it still does. Uh, Peter from Port Chalmers says, glad I'm not a Kennedy. Uh, we've got Danger Zone that's come in. Paul from Alexandra likes Wham, Wake Me Up Before You Go Go. And another Paul... Hopefully different, not double-dipping, Paul. This is quintessential song of the 80s for me. Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears. And they do, don't they? Thank you very much for your patronage uh, this week. Uh, Trish says that she's very much enjoying the First Up podcast. Good on you. There you go. Thank you very much there as well. So, Oh, no, no, that she could. Oh, Trish, download the First Up podcast. You'll be, it's perfect for you there as well. She, she likes the show, wants to hear all the bits, doesn't want to hear all the big, long weather breaks. Uh, you don't have to hear those. It's all part of the podcast. You too can download that and listen to First Up at your convenience 24-7. Morning Report is next with Susie and Corin From all of us here at First Up, have yourselves a safe and successful weekend. First Up will be back in your ears on Monday morning.